1: Hello, and welcome back to the Food Therapy Podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. Z, who is a Philadelphia-based licensed clinical psychologist. She is a narcissistic relationship coach and also specializes in the treatment of anxiety, depression, and everyday stress which we all have these days. Dr. Z is a mental health contributor to various media outlets, including Fox 29 News and CBS. She has been featured in several publications, including Huffington Post, Business Insider, Washington Post, and is the author of Find Your Calm, an anxiety management workbook that will Be released April 2022. So exciting. Dr. Z is, yes, Mm -hmm. Dr. Z is also the co host of the It's Me, Dr. Z with JB podcast. Welcome, Dr. Z. Thank you for having me. So So excited to have you on. Yeah, I think Brittany and I have both been in narcissistic relationships. So I'm so excited to hear the psychology behind all of this. Yes. So how yeah. did you get into, like, obviously psychology, but specifically, like, niching into narcissism? Mm-hmm.
2: So a couple reasons. One was when I started my practice a while ago, and I see mostly females. Um, and I, people were coming in, obviously, with relationship issues. But there were a handful of people that were coming in with very similar stories, um, almost kind of interchangeable in terms of the people that they were talking about. And, um, it just kind of became something that grew in my practice as far as working on these types of relationships, which were more likely than not narcissistic, having narcissistic partners. Uh, and then it just kind of grew from there. I had, um, some people that I knew personally that were involved. And so it, it kind of, that got me on that track. And then I just, as I started talking about it more, I realized there were so many people that were in those situations, that thought they were alone, that didn't understand it, that really needed the education on it. Because it's not, ta- I mean, it's talked about, especially, and I'll talk about the buzzword of narcissism, but it's not really talked about all that much in terms of it being a disorder and how to manage it and how to approach it. So I just thought it was an area that really needed to be highlighted. And um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just kind of grown from there
1: amazing and do you like when people come in when you talk about these behaviors and things that they were experiencing what what were those things
2: so uh it depends where they were in the relationship at the time when they came in because narcissistic abuse looks different at different points in the relationship so usually they're not coming in during the beginning because during the beginning everything is perfect and amazing and too good to be true and everything is just exactly what you would expect in kind of this fairy tale romance, and i you know I jokingly but not really jokingly blame like you know I always say i blame Disney for this, right, mm-hmm. and I blame for you know instilling these ideas in our heads of how relationships should look um so people naturally are very you know they gravitate towards that because it feels good, and why wouldn't it feel good mm-hmm. um and then you know as the relationship progresses and it kind of goes into these different stages of abuse, that's when the relationships really kind of start to take a nosedive. So things like, you know, very controlling, um, very controlling of finances, the financial abuse, controlling of where they're going, what they're doing, um, very hot and cold, very verbally abusive, and it's very confusing to the person who's involved in the relationship. Things could be going wonderful and then they're just, for no reason whatsoever turn completely on its head and is just very manipulative and um you know like i said verbally physically sometimes even sexually abusive so it's this constant unsettling feeling of you never know what you're going to get they feel stuck they're confused they feel like they almost don't exist because they're like the shell of who they once were they're isolated um There's a lot of infidelity, um, substance use. So it's just kind of all of those things. Not everyone has to have all of those things, but that's typically what I would say.
0: That also sounds a lot like abusive relationships in general. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. So how does it differ from just an abusive, being in an emotionally or even physically abusive relationship?
2: Excellent question. Um, So there is a difference between somebody who is abusive in a relationship and somebody who is a narcissist in a relationship. Somebody who is abusive in a relationship without the narcissistic component of it typically has insight and awareness into what they're doing. Mm-hmm. If they want to get help, they have that ability to get help. They have that ability to make changes. Whether the person wants to stay with them or not is a different situation. The difference is is that when the abuse itself can look the same. It's the, it's the reason behind the abuse. So a lot of times in abusive relationships, it's a control, it's a power thing, um, it's anger management issues, it's the result of substance abuse. When you're dealing with a narcissistic relationship, you still have the physical and verbal uh, emotional abuse that occurs. But the reason behind it is different. It's because of this need for the narcissist to get what's called supply. It's almost as if they don't exist unless they are able to get reactions from you, have access to your emotions. Um, it's very manipulative, very calculating. There's a lot more, t- not that I'm minimizing abusive relationships, obviously. There's a lot more of a underlying manipulative quality to why the abuse is occurring so people say they you know they have difficulty managing their anger and they'll punch a wall as a release for them in a narcissistic relationship it would be used to control the other person to threaten to scare them as a way for that narcissistic person to get um, a feeling of fulfillment that they have access to this person's emotions.
1: huh interesting
2: yeah. So how and do you identify- day, obviously, but yeah.
1: yeah, right. So how do you identify it in like if you're not, say you're in a session with a woman who's in a narcissistic relationship, are you asking them questions about like because you don't know how this per- where this person's like abuse is actually coming from, right? So how do you yeah. identify that?
2: Because the patterns of a narcissistic abusive relationship are very um they're very exact. Like there's you know, they're modified, but generally speaking, there is such a blueprint to how a narcissistic abusive relationship works. When you're dealing with abuse that's non narcissistic, there's not these there's not this cycle of abuse the same in all situations. The love bombing the devaluing, the discarding, the hoovering, there's all of these things that occur in a narcissistic relationship that are very, if you know what to look for to the therapist, it's very, um, it's very easy to identify um, if they're describing it as it is. For an, A relationship that's not narcissistic but is abusive won't necessarily follow that pattern.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I'm trying to identify in my own head if I was (laughs) the relationship or if it was narcissistic, but Mm -hmm. I think it was more of a narcissistic because it was very calculated of, like you said, the devaluing, love bombing. I'm so sorry. I love you so much. All that kind of stuff. And then, um, yeah, the infidelity, all the things. Mm -hmm. You, you Mm -hmm. also
0: mentioned how someone who is just abusing or just, someone who is right, relationship you, yeah. who is abusing, that if they want to seek help, they can. Someone who's a narcissist, is that not even something that is on their radar? Like, do they not have the capacity to want to seek help? They don't think they need help.
2: If you ask somebody who is abusive, but not a narcissist. It- their behavior was wrong, inappropriate. If they have guilt, remorse, and empathy, mm. they'll say yes. Maybe not in the moment, but but they have, and they have remorse. They know what they're doing is wrong. Narcissistic personalities that are different. You know, it's on a continuum narcissism, and we'll you know talk about that. But narcissistic personalities that are they lack empathy. Mm. So if they're abusing you, it's because you deserve it, and they will make you believe you deserve it. They will take no accountability. They don't think what they're doing is wrong. How they live their life is completely, fun- in their eyes, functional, okay, and accurate and right and all of that. So they don't see any need for treatment because nothing's wrong with them. They they don't feel the need to go. And even if they do go, so let's say it's court mandated, right, or they're severely depressed because they don't have any any supply at that time. There's no one in the wings. There's no one that they're with. And so they feel empty they may go for depression but it's very short-lived and I mean when if you're working with someone that's a narcissist at the times that I have had people come into my office that were a narcissist they never came back after session one because they knew exactly what you know I knew what I was dealing with and so I asked questions a certain way they won't come back
1: mm-hmm. partners
2: of narcissists may come in once and they either hate me they'll get up in the middle and leave or they just um, after they try to kind of charm the situation and it doesn't work um but it's usually the partners that come in it's not the narcissist they even if somebody came in in a perfect world let's say someone was narcissistic came into my office and for in a perfect world they say i need help that means they have insight and awareness which won't happen um but if they did the amount of change that i could make with them as a trained professional who is an expert in narcissistic behavior my progress with them would be so unbelievably minimal and only probably within my session with them. So there is, you know, I know people are probably listening and said, well, you know, how is she has psychologists and say that they can't change. I want people to know how much it pains me to say that they won't change because this, it, that's, it goes against everything that I believe in. Um, they won't change ever. So it's kind of this hard fast thing that I say, and it's the only diagnosis I will say that for.
0: So what do you do? <laughs> like, let's say, yeah. like, fortunately, we're into healthy relationships, but I'm thinking yeah. about people who are listening to this and they're like, okay, like the person I'm with you're saying is not going to change. Like, what do I do? Yeah. So
2: when I work with people, I always ask them, you know, are are you here because you want to try to leave? Are you here because you want to try to figure out how to live within the relationship because you feel you can't leave? If you're not safe to leave, I never tell people to leave because your safety is always first. And when people leave narcissistic relationships is one of the higher times for for abuse to occur. So um, sometimes it takes many times. I think the average I read somewhere uh, was like six or seven times to actually leave the relationship. Um, What do people do? So number one is nothing that I will tell you is in any way, shape or form to change the other person. And that's true of any, of any relationship, you know, you can't change the other person. Um, But I work with them on setting very um, concrete boundaries. So I kind of give them a play by play of when the person does this, I want you to respond like this. If they text you this, I only want you to respond like this. So it's very concrete behavioral strategies to set boundaries. And truthfully, that's all you can do. And unless you leave the relationship, but I also tell people, especially if there's children involved, a lot of times the post-separation abuse that they, that they kind of, it's different, but, but it's sometimes worse. So they have to be prepared that leaving the relationship is kind of the first step. It's not the last step. And I make that clear to people because you have to have a support network in place, financial stuff in place before you leave a relationship like that.
1: Wow. Yeah. I I can imagine that just being there, it would be so helpful to just know what to say yeah, in a text yeah. when they do a certain thing that I'm sure that's so helpful for a lot of people. What, where does this come from? Is it taught? Is it genetics? Like, especially if you can't treat it, like what the heck, yeah. how do we avoid have, have this happening? Yeah.
2: So, you know, there's a, there's, you know, different kinds of, theories as to where it comes from and why, but the majority of the research is out there is that it's a learned pattern of behavior. So there are studies that say there's genetic components to it. There's actual, um, the the brains are actually different. Uh, but whether one triggers the other, who knows, but for the most part, it's, it's learned. And it doesn't mean that if your parent was a narcissist, you'll be a narcissist. It's based on, you know, as children, we are, part of a certain dynamic right with our family whatever that looks like and as children we're super resilient and we come up with strategies to be able to manage our world around us and those strategies that we come up with at the time make sense it helps us get through our life right Um, if you have a parent that has um, a drinking problem and let's say you know when they come home drunk your strategy was to run to your room lock the door and not come out hear your parents arguing, maybe hear abuse going on, but you don't leave your room and the next morning nobody talks about it. So your strategy you developed is maybe, you know, when you see this, you shut down. So when something's really bad, you shut down. It worked for you then. Fast forward into adulthood, you can see how when your situation around you changes, so you're no longer living at home, you no longer have a parent that's an alcoholic, that's abusive to the other spouse, now you're in a healthier context, but yet you're still using the same pattern of shutting down when things get bad. That can affect your relationships going forward. When you have a parent that there's a couple patterns typically that lead to it yes, a narcissistic parent, a parent that is overbearing, extremely high expectations, nothing you ever do is going to be good enough. And so the narcissist will kind of compensate for that by putting on this facade that they are entitled and great and this grandiose ideas to kind of, yeah, compensate for for that, those feelings of inferiority and not feeling good enough. You could have a parent that treats one of the, um, one of the siblings as the golden child, puts all their favoritism towards them. And so that's kind of where the rules don't apply to them. They never got in trouble. Um, they think that they are above everything else because that can, you know, go forward into adulthood. So there is some sort of there doesn't have to be a trauma but there is a definite dysfunction in family dynamics that that leads to that and you don't have to model the pattern the patterns exactly a lot of times you can go the extreme opposite of the pattern that you saw as a kind of way to get away from it but one extreme or the other ends up not being healthy
0: mind blown
1: Mm -hmm. could someone
0: have (laughs) narcissistic tendencies, but still be able to sometimes demonstrate a level of empathy?
2: Yeah. So narcissistic, narcissism, look at it on a continuum. On one extreme, you have narcissistic personality disorder, which is a DSM diagnosis, which has distinct criteria, which is typically, you know, the partners of the people that, that, that I see, or kind of just towards that end. Everybody has narcissistic traits, all of us, and they come out in certain situations more so than others. So the three of us talking here, we're talking about our area of expertise, our narcissistic traits, whatever you want to call them, are probably more pronounced now than they would be if, um, you know, we were just kind of hanging out with our friends, right? And so it's healthy to have a certain level of narcissism. It makes you competitive when you need to be, keyword when you need to be. It makes you motivated when you need to be. It makes you successful in certain ways. So a a moderate amount of narcissism is healthy. The key is to be able to know when to reel it back in and when to push it forward Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, be adaptable with it. And then if you kind of take away any narcissistic traits whatsoever, you kind of end up on this dependency end of things almost, which you know, anyone is susceptible to a narcissist charm. Any anyway, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter what you do for a living, it doesn't matter if you are dependent. Not everybody's susceptible, but people with dependency styles tend to have a little bit more of a kind of gravitational pull we'll say towards the narcissist because they are more willing to put their needs second and put somebody else's first um but narcissistic traits kind of go with level of awareness so if you get if you look at it on a continuum the more traits you have towards that end the less kind of willingness to change you'll probably have but absolutely 100%, somebody who does not have narcissistic personality disorder, but is you know, the, the showing a little bit more characteristics than somebody else that makes them a little annoying to be around, it's just a lot of work, a lot of effort. But when brought to their attention, they see that, yes, that is definitely something that they could work on. Um, the other thing that, that I think is helpful for people to understand is there's a difference between... Having to- having toxic patterns in a relationship versus having narcissistic patterns in relationships. So you can have toxic patterns because and and they could look narcissistic, but when brought to your attention, you realize, oh, I'm doing that. I didn't realize I was doing it. I want to change that. Because you're modeling that which you know, but modeling behaviors is different than modeling plus internalizing this narrative you were given growing up. So people that are listening to this thing like, oh my God, well, my, my significant other does this and they do this. Are they a narcissist? If you bring it to their attention and they are willing to work on it and they have awareness, they have empathy, they can, and they're willing to do the work. That's a different situation. We all have toxic patterns, right? But a narcissist they don't view them as patterns. They view them as this is this is how I am and I'm correct in this and there's no reason to get help. You're the crazy one. You get help.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you know what is coming to mind if you guys have seen Tinder Swinder? Yes. Yes. He, like that is the yes. definition of someone who has yes. zero remorse. He's like, I am correct. correct. No correct. empathy. Like that is and someone even- with Narcissistic, Sorry. yes, he is extreme, and and in fact, he almost
2: kind of borders on that. There's, you know, that so antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder are both kind of cluster B personality disorders. They kind of overlap in some of their tendencies. Um, he kind of even goes more in that direction, I think, at times. Um, but definitely narcissistic. Also, um, this is an older movie. I'm totally going to date myself, but "Sleeping with the Enemy" with Julia Roberts. If anyone has seen that. That is an excellent, excellent um, kind of portrayal of narcissistic personality disorder. Mm. The controlling nature, the abusiveness, the manipulation, the gaslighting, yes. um, that all of that. So I recommend that for people as well.
0: But also what you were saying, how in the beginning of the relationship, it's almost like too good to be true yes. because it usually is, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this fairy tale novel. They're going above and beyond. Yes um, you know, proper, whatever a relationship calls for. And yeah. again, just going back to the Tinder swinder, like even the way he was treating them in the beginning, it was like, I love you. Like, you're yeah. amazing. I want you to be the mother of my children. Like, let me mm-hmm. fly you to these hotels. Mm-hmm. And the girl even said like, this is too good to be true. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You anyway, I, say, I say that to people and I, you know, I'm sure I sound pessimistic
2: at times about it, but it, the truth of the matter is if it seems, too good to be true and you're having you're being told you're their soulmate when it's date number one or two when they don't even know what your middle name is you have to <laughs> ask yourself how what are they basing yeah it feels so good i get it but what are they basing this soulmate quality on they don't know you yeah and those lavish gifts and all of those things and i just love bombing it blinds you from that basic question of what the heck are they basing this on? They don't know me. They don't even know if I have a dog. Do they know what my favorite color is? What do I like to eat? What's my birthday? I mean, these are, you know, you, you don't know the person. And so I think a lot those other things blind you from that very specific fact.
1: Mm okay I have a few questions I just wrote down because I lose my train of thought in two seconds and mm-hmm. I was going to be a psychology major but then I started convincing myself that I had every single ailment in the book Yes. Yeah. instead I became a <laughs> yeah. dietitian so I'm yeah. really curious so one is it possible to be in a relationship with someone with narcissistic personality disorder and not have abuse no mm, wow no. interesting um no is there medication for these people no no wow okay and then you keep mentioning this awareness So right? let me uh, let me
2: so uh, it will never no so medications don't change patterns of behavior right medications will reduce your symptoms of depression mm-hmm. anxiety things like that mm-hmm. so that you can maybe take the edge of make better choices develop new patterns or if you're really like depressed it helps you kind of Gives you that extra kind of boost, so that you can reengage slowly in society, right? Or mm-hmm. you know, get out there because you're not as anxious anymore.
1: Right.
2: A lot of times with narcissistic personality so there's a lot of mood lability. So these mm-hmm. like just flying off the handle for no reason, and then I love you, I love you, but there is a reason. They're doing it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone who has anger issues is having this lability with like they can't, they feel like they can't control it. So. When people say, you know, they're, quote, so bipolar, that true kind of up and down, or even just rage or anger and bipolar um, mood stabilizers can help with that. Narcissistic personality disorder, mood lability is inherently different. It's calculated, it's manipulative. So going on medication for that, one, they're not going to stay on medication, if they even go on it at all. Two, it's not going to fix narcissistic patterns at all there's no meds yeah
1: really interesting it's so crazy too because like you would think if it's like but i guess it's not a chemical imbalance it's it's just no. behavior
2: yes correct you, you, i mean there will be you know I, I know there's research on you know things like saying there's you know brain chemistry differences and things like that but it is not like a bipolar disorder right. where it is a true chemical right. imbalance um it's It's very different,
1: and then the behavior change can't change because they don't believe they don't have the awareness to change it.
2: They don't care to change it. Got it. Okay. You know, if 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 their partner says to them, you you know, you're so cruel. Your comments are so cruel.
1: Um,
2: they may know they're being cruel. They don't care that they're being Mm -hmm. cruel. They don't have any empathy. The awareness comes in as they don't have an awareness of how much damage they do.
1: Mm, Okay.
2: Right. Got it. They don't have that awareness necessarily. They may They may may not care, but the individual behaviors are very calculated.
1: Mm, Okay. Yeah. Because you mentioned the awareness component. It seems like a big piece. So it's like. Yeah. Because a lot of times, like when I've been through therapy and just mindset stuff in general, it's heightening my awareness, which is helping me as a person. Um, So you would think like, oh, you can just heighten their awareness. But even if you did that, they don't care. So it doesn't matter.
0: Right. Yeah. I feel like you have to want to build awareness, especially when someone who goes to therapy, like they're more likely to want to create that change or, you know, build awareness. Mm -hmm. If you feel comfortable answering this, I'm curious... The majority of people that you work with, do you find that they leave their partner or do they work with you to stay in the relationship? Oh, um, that's a good question. Let me think. I would
2: say that, um, I would say a lot leave, but it takes a really long, long time. So I have patients that are still in a relationship that's just not, ready to leave yet for numerous reasons, but ultimately the goal is to leave. If they want to stay in the relationship and they make that very clear then I work with them on boundaries with the understanding that the other person, like none of what you do can be based on the other person changing that has to be taken off the table. Um, But I would say most people work with me to eventually be able to leave whether they leave or not is different, but that's kind of their their mindset is that they need to get out.
0: And similar to abusive relationships, obviously, people, when someone's in an abusive relationship, their self esteem just gets diminished over time, especially between the gaslighting and the manipulation. I'm curious if that's like a pattern you often see where someone's self esteem is so low as well that it makes it really challenging, in addition to all the other challenges to leave that relationship. Yeah.
2: So w- when I have patients that have gotten out of a relationship or let's say I, I they come to me after the breakup but they don't they're so depressed and anxious following the breakup which is very common you'll hear so many people say i am a i am a shell of my former self and they for so long have been told this narrative that their opinions don't matter that they're wrong they are told what to like how to act what to say when to say it um that when they get out they don't even like if you ask them tell me about yourself they can't because they don't know who they are because they've been stripped of that identity for so long they don't trust their own reality their perception of reality which is the narcissist's intentions so that they don't seek anything outside they depend on the narcissist to define their reality for them which is a whole other manipulative strategy so you know they'll say i don't even know my favorite food i don't know what music i like i don't know what style fashion i like they don't know because they don't have that self-identity anymore and a lot of it is kind of building them back up and a narcissist will break them down so they have no self-esteem, like just like you said, no just no um, sense of self. And so to be able to leave a relationship like that with no self-esteem, with this belief that nobody else is going to love you, you are worthless, everything is your fault, you're crazy, no one's going to believe you,
0: it's so difficult to leave. So difficult to leave. Um, and that's when people say, well, why don't they just leave? They can And- you know, not just that, but if there's like a physical abuse aspect to it, it's, people say like, well, why didn't she just leave? It's like, yeah. and then they end up getting god forbidly like killed a few that's months right. later. It's like, that's why they don't leave. That's right. They're scared. They are, they're terrified. They're, they're terrified. And if there is a, I always say the
2: safety part comes first. And, um, you know, I I think from doing this work for so long, uh, you know, the why don't they just leave? I, I kind of give people a script of what to say. Um, or tell people what to say because unless you're aware of the nuances of narcissism, unless you've been in that type of relationship before, you just, you, you you can't comprehend it. And I forget what I was listening to when somebody described it perfectly. It was the other day and I'm this is I cannot take credit for this. I just can't remember who to give credit to. Um, But somebody said that narcissistic personality disorder, when you're in it it and you hear what they're doing and saying it almost feels um, otherworldly, they called it. And it's, it was such an accurate description. I'll try to remember who said it. Because when you hear about what they're doing, and the, the manipulative strategies that go on, it's so mind boggling that somebody could actually come up with that and actually do that. That It, it gives you chills because it's, So unbelievable. And that's why people have such a hard time understanding how complicated a narcissistic relationship is from a psychological standpoint. Um, You don't go to couples therapy in narcissistic relationships. And that's why, you know, if someone says, well, my therapist told me I should go with my spouse to couples. No, under no circumstances, because one, the victim feels re-traumatized again because somebody who doesn't have awareness of narcissism and it's not their fault, but a therapist can say, you know, it seems like they're really trying. Maybe you should go on a date night. And, you know, and the person who is the partner of a narcissist, that's their worst nightmare. Right. You know, um, they're scared to go anywhere with them because they start an argument and then later on blame them and then they'll be abused there's sexual abuse that night. It's just very um, upsetting and it's just not something they can, you can just leak. Because also, you know, we are hearing this going on well when we say F you and walk out and send the door and be done. Not when you're of that mindset that nothing you do makes a difference and you don't exist.
0: I mean, I, Lauren mentioned, we were both in emotionally abusive relationships. And I remember there was a moment where we were going to a Yankee game with a group of friends and he's like, I don't like what you're wearing. You have to go up and change. Yeah. And my friends were like, how could you go up and change? And in that moment, like there was no other option. Like I was going up to change. Right. And it just shows you like the level of control and how they put you into this corner. Like no one will ever love you the way, you know, you feel in this relationship. And if you leave, like you're never going to meet someone and you don't have friends. And like, they purposely like will isolate you from your friendships and your family. So they'll say, you know, like, Oh no, you know your friend Brittany. I'm like, I I mean, I know
2: she's your friend from college, but like, ah, there's something about her I don't trust. Yeah. And I can't put my finger on it. And then it slowly starts to get more and more. Or your parents, you know, are you always gonna let your dad control you like that? You know, or no no no, you know what, you've worked so hard, you know, Lauren, why don't you just just stop don't work. Here's my credit card, just relax and then next thing you know, you have no job or you're working for them. They have total control over your finances, your car payment, your because they make it look like I'll take care of all of this, but really it's financial abuse. And that's another reason why people can't leave. Yes. They have no, they have no earning potential. They have no income. They don't know where their money is. Um, you know, and for you, what you describe is, is dead accurate. It's a brainwashing that, you know, that comes on. You could be this, most str- you could be such a strong willed person, so confident and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter
1: yeah i literally am having like ptsd right now it is Mm -hmm. insane like Mm -hmm. i i've had the i can't believe you're going to hang out with your friends i'm going to tell your mom that you smoke cigarettes that you do drugs that i'm going to burn your house down like yeah horrifying things and that's why i never left because i was freaking terrified of what he would do right? Exactly. Yeah. And absolutely. At the time I was freaking a freshman in high school. Like nobody in my, fr- they're like, Oh, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you're staying with him, you know, but I genuinely didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And the calls of like 21 minutes calling. Yeah. Standing outside of my classroom because I wasn't answering coming to yeah. fight. I mean, it's insane. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And initially it looks like, oh, they, they really like me. They're so right. nice to me. Look, they called, texted me five times this morning just to say, have a good day. Yeah. So, um, right. So in the beginning, it feels good, especially if you're used to relationships where they've been emotionally disconnected or you feel neglected or you grew up neglected, right? Like emotionally neglected. That can feel so good.
0: Mm-hmm. What are some signs and I know you've mentioned this earlier, but let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, there have been some red flags in my relationship, but I'm not really sure what I should be looking for. Like, what are some pretty distinct signs that Mm -hmm. someone could say like, hey, this person like might be a narcissist and might be an abuser?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So uh, things like that financial abuse that I talked about, Um, you know, it seems like, like it's amazing. I don't have to pay for anything. It's great. Something like that. Because that's not normal in, in, in early stages of a relationship. That's not normal. Really. I don't want to say that's not normal because I hate using that word. But it's probably not a healthy choice to throw the responsibility of every single financial aspect of your life onto your partner, narcissism or not. Um, you should always know where your stuff is, what you have, and you know you should always have some sense of that. So if you find that that is occurring early on and when I say early on, even like once, you know, a year and less there or something like that. And you, you see that starting to happen. That is a red flag. Don't mistake that for, Oh my God, like this is a dream come true. Like, let me kick my feet up and just shop online. No. Um, so there's that aspect of it. If you start to see that flying off the handle for no reason, or, you know, this, kind of one day you cook the dinner and they like this is so great thank you so much the next day you cook the same exact dinner because they asked for it and they take it and they throw it against the wall and they say it's crap and how you know this is disgusting like now i'm gonna be starving you know and stuff like that where it's like you you don't you're you're so confused by their response their response doesn't follow a pattern in your eyes i mean it does when you take like a, you know, holistic look, but in that moment, you're totally confused. There is no rhyme or reason. Um, you know, things like the comments that you were, you were talking about, like, I don't, I don't like that outfit. You know, you need, you need to change. Or if you feel like you can't go out with your friends, if you feel like if you don't text them back right away, you're going to upset them. Or if you feel like you constantly have to walk on eggshells to control their mood, that is a massive red flag. Um, How they resolve arguments. Are you, are they, are you, for example, let's say you think they're cheating on you. You take their phone when they're in the shower and you look through it, they come out, they see you on the phone and they start screaming at you. How dare you go through my phone? And you say, well, I think you're cheating on me, blah, blah, blah. And somehow next thing you know, you're arguing about, why you were on their phone. And before you know it, you're apologizing for why you're on their phone. And the entire conversation of their infidelity is completely off the table. So, you know, constantly threatening to leave. Just a very unstable, walking on eggshells, um, very high and low type stuff, the financial abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, manipulation, the gaslighting, which I talked about with like the cell phone, making them you think you're crazy, doubting yourself. You start to notice you're isolated. If they take on that, it's me and you against the world approach in the very beginning, which again can feel amazing, that's a red flag as well.
0: Yeah. And especially when you don't, like, I think you said this earlier, when you don't know which version of them that you're getting.
2: Correct. Absolutely. Yep. Wow. We don't know what version. And, And it's not even like you can figure it out. Like, you know, people will say, well, if I just do this, this, and this. That's one of the big differences because it's not that simple because they have, they're doing it on purpose. So if you, in your mind, figure out what it was that set them off and you don't do that again, when you don't do that again, then they're going to flip out again. So now it's like, you, don't, you know, it's very purposeful. So there is no way for you to predict it, not because it's unpredictable, but because they're setting the rules. They're not telling you what the rules are. And just when you think you haven't figured it out, they change the rules without telling you what the rules are. Yeah. And that's how
0: you live, that's how you live your life with them. Wow. And I'm. Um, what what is, like in terms of the person who's receiving the abuse, like what does that do to them? I feel like you're just constantly in this like um, fight or flight type Always. stage. Yes. yes. So, a lot of times, that's exactly
2: what will happen, that fight or flight response, you're constantly hyper-aware, hyper-vigilant. Um, you know, it's it, that's where people will say they have, right, they have PTSD. What, what they're really talking about is something called complex PTSD or CPTSD. It's not technically a DSM diagnosis, but it's different than PTSD. PTSD is, a, is an isolated event, identifiable, beginning, middle, and end. You, you know what the event was, it affected you, or it affected someone you love, it it's kind of you developed it through that. CPTSD is very common with domestic violence, very common in abusive, abusive situations. You're going to see this a lot with COVID um, where there's this just chronic moments of abuse constantly over time or, or shouldn't even say abuse, traumas, traumas continuously over time where you don't even acknowledge them as traumas anymore because it becomes your norm. We're so habituated to it. Like, take COVID, for example, something I unrelated to abuse. When we first were told to wear masks, I remember I was horrified. I was petrified. I was, my kids were petrified. Now, what happens? We don't even think about it. We grab a mask and we go. My kids, if they don't have a mask, they'll remember to bring a mask. So, you habituate to these kind of traumatic moments over time. Um, And that's why a lot of people in these relationships, they just don't realize because it's become so normal that they don't see it. And so they do absolutely have this hyper vigilance. And so let's say after the relationship, um, you know, I had a patient who would start having panic attacks when she heard footsteps going up her stairs because that was usually her significant other coming up the stairs and she knew it was about to happen. So there is a lot of trauma involved in this. Absolutely. And it's a lot of that, that kind of, yeah, play, it's what protects you while you're in that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. It is. So, and I'm curious too, what do you typically see? Like, how are these victims affected in the future? Right? Like I always, like I said, I love psychology. I think it's so fascinating. And I'm always like reflecting on myself and I'm like, I'm honestly surprised that I don't have more like trust issues and other things. But Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, my anxiety ramped up ever since then, like, are there different ways that it kind of manifests? I'm very, I mean, this could just be that I'm an anxious personality too, but I'm very, I'm startled very easily. Like, are there specific things that people post narcissistic relationships usually experience?
2: Yeah, sure. So definitely that startle response, especially if there was a lot of abuse that was um inconsistent you never knew you know Mm -hmm. when it was coming um that there's a lot of going for the same type of person again because without therapy you will continue that pattern because it's really hard to pull yourself out of without having some objective to do it for you um so you see a lot of re-traumatizing over and over again because they get back into that cycle um a huge amount of self doubt. So, their ability to go back to work or to make an income or to be a good parent because they were told for so long they weren't. Um, there is a ton of anxiety, obviously. There's a significant amount of depression because they don't know who they are. And it's not that they necessarily want to go back to the relationship, but they were more, it was more familiar. Because now they do have to figure out who they are to be able to move forward in life. When they were in that relationship, they that ability was taken from them. Um, so they have to do a real lot of hard work after the relationship. So it, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety and depression for sure.
0: Well, this was so incredibly enlightening and could, you guys just, ask really good
1: questions. Really so good questions. I could have a million more questions. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I could sit hard, on this you know? for another <laughs> few hours. But wait, I so, do have one more question. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Sorry. <laughs> I'll zip my mouth after this. Um. Do you see that this typically goes undiagnosed? Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. Good. A couple of reasons. One, women narcissists oftentimes are... Oh, constantly misdiagnosed with let's say borderline personality disorder, depression anxiety a lot of times their partners won't want to come forward male partners won't want to come forward and say my wife is abusive my wife is but because there, there's this stigma right but also from when you have a male narcissist a lot of these women are so scared or they think they've been brainwashed to think they're the problem they're crazy so they're not reporting it they may go to therapy for anxiety and depression but you know i think it was uh, I forget what the actual percentage is. It's so low. I mean, like three yeah. to four percent, very low of people that have narcissism. And so I had gotten a comment once on one of my stories, you know, why are you putting so much emphasis on this? There's such a small portion of the population. So, you know, I always say like, well, someone, some, someone's got to do it. Right. And, you know, period. So, but also I said, it's the number of, you know, the percentage of people that are quote diagnosed with this, is I'm sure it is positive is very, very low and misrepresented for sure. Because remember, they're not coming to therapy, period. So there's really no way to know except through these types of stories and and behaviors that that people are talking about. Um, And, you know, working with somebody who specializes in that to be able to pull it out and and identify it. But it's it's very, um, uh, yes, I think it's horribly underdiagnosed for sure
0: yeah wow this is so where can people find you how can people work with you give us all that great info sure. so um my website dr jamie
2: com. um instagram is uh dr period z underscore psychologist um dr you psychologist on twitter and youtube but i post a lot of stuff on instagram on narcissistic personalities and strategies and things like that. And and also just general anxiety and depression, things like that too. Um, so you can check me out on there and I do, um, relationship coaching for people that are in these types of relationships who want to either develop a strategy to leave some sort of game plan, um, or just how to manage the day to day of of being in these relationships.
0: Amazing. I wish I met you when I was in that relationship. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much again for coming on. This was really just so fascinating mm-hmm. and definitely go give Dr. Zuckerman a follow and we will put all the links in the bio so people can find you there as well. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is awesome. This is great. Yes. yes thank, thank you. you. Yes. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next.